Well, good morning. It is an honor and a joy to be with you on this special milestone for Summit Woods Baptist Church. But I assure you, as I look back over the course of ministry, that this will be one of the most significant days of ministry for me on a personal level, and I know Karen would, would agree with that. As I think about our time at Summit Woods Baptist Church, nearly 11 years that we were here with this church family, I can say that some of those were the most special years that we experienced. In fact, our three children were born during that time. It was this church family that introduced them to the local church and ultimately to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as I think about that, I would also say that some of the most significant people in my life are in this room today. Thank you for the invitation to be here today. Uh, Pastor Brett, to the elders, to the leaders, Dawson, uh, each of you, it is, it is uh, such a joy to be here. Brother Mark Devine, he, he, is, uh, he has been a, an instrumental person in my life uh, in, in so many different contexts, and yet here we are once again together. It is uh, truly a joy. We could not have asked for a more loving or patient church who assisted me in those initial years of pastoral ministry, calling a pastor at the age of 26. And it was true, they did refer to me as a teenage pastor. Um, I don't know, I never saw it that way. You know, the mustache, I thought, I thought helped. But evidently, evidently it didn't. But even as we went, and it, it dawned on me that just as the Divine family left to go overseas, the Bowman family left to go overseas, and the amount of encouragement during those years uh, was, was truly, truly a blessing. As I was driving back yesterday, we were on I-70, and I was re reminded about the first time that we came in to Lee Summit to meet Summit Woods Baptist Church. It was January the 3rd of 1999 that I was preaching in view of a call. We were in St. Joseph, and we left very quickly because it was predicted that Snowmageddon was on the way which, by the way, never materialized, but we left quickly, and, and uh, we were in our hotel room Saturday night. I was laying out uh, my, uh, my view of a call suit, which had just been purchased, when I realized that I'd left it in St. Joseph. <laughs> Drove all the way here without the view of a call suit. My parents lived in Warrensburg at the time, and I called them to express what had happened, and uh, they quickly made their way here to, uh, to Lee Summit, and if you thought that I looked a little bit like a college administrator that first Sunday, it's because my dad brought me one of his suits to preach in. <laughs> so now you know the rest of, of that story. And uh, my, my parents are here today. I'm so glad they could make it. And I feel pretty good that I didn't forget my dress clothes this time, although I'm sure they would have helped me out once again. Well, I want to invite your attention to the passage that, that uh, Rob just read from Ephesians chapter 3. Thank you, by the way, Rob, for a kind, kind introduction. There's more he could have said. And so I was, I was, people asked me if I was nervous about today. I'm not as nervous now as I was because that part is complete. But as I look back over 25 years of faithful ministry here at Summit Woods, you know, I want to, uh, to say a special word of appreciation to Pastor Brett to Dawson, to the elders, to those who have faithfully led this local body for such a period of time. And uh, we see God's hand of work among each of them. And as we think about this passage in Ephesians, it is Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus. 
But I think it helps us understand how God works within the life of the local church so that for today we can look back and we can see indeed how he has worked in the life of this local church. Ephesians chapter 3. We might ask, what sustains a church for a quarter of a century? What sustains a church to be faithful and healthy before the Lord? before the community what sustains a body I think that we will find some instruction here in this prayer that Paul prays but before we read and look at these verses let me remind you of the context Ephesus of course is modern day Turkey and uh, as we think about the time of Paul's writing it was the third largest city in the world at that time certainly a difficult place to proclaim the gospel Now, the ancient city is a historic site, and one of the uh, most famous structures was the Temple to Artemis, also at times referred to as Diana, a a pagan goddess. And this temple would have been considered one of the wonders of the ancient world, a magnificent structure that rose above the city, something that would have caught everyone's attention, larger than a Parthenon, the Parthenon in Athens, 60 feet high. 127 pillars. In fact, there's an artist's rendition of what this may have looked like. And it it was 425 feet in length, 200 feet in width. But Artemis was a goddess that was, at that time, considered by many to have had an image falling out of heaven that would have been worshipped in this place. It was a temple of sheer immorality, temple prostitution, magicians, witches, spirit mediums, all could be found in this place. Well, now we can, we can look at it and we can see that not much remains, just about a, a pillar and a half. Isn't that sad? Of course it's not sad. It was a pagan temple, right? In fact, if I were there today, I'd kick the rest of it down, I think. And I, I, bet, I bet Mark Devine would help me, but... Uh, But I I tell you that because I want us to reflect back upon what it would have been like when Paul prayed that prayer. You see, that that temple and that that occult, that religion caused a lot of trouble for the early church. You may remember when Paul first came to Ephesus, the gospel had such a dramatic impact on the city. So many came to Christ, it it had an economic impact because those that came were no longer buying the the idols that the silversmiths were making of Diana. And according to Acts chapter 19, these idol makers, uh, they they brought about uh, a riot and they brought the believers into the city theater, a theater, if you look at the ruins, it it sat 20,000 people. They were there at the front being persecuted, openly mocked until the city clerk decided that that he would help, help alleviate the situation. So the church was surrounded by a culture that was hostile to its message. And Paul knew that this was a church that had suffered and that even his personal suffering might dishearten them. So in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 13, he asks them not to be discouraged. And Paul's prayer is a reminder of how God will work, even in a setting like that one, that he will work in the local church and that churches like the church in Ephesus or the Church of Summit Woods Baptist Church in Lee Summit. These are the ones that that Christ is working in. It is Christ who builds his church and even the gates of hell will not prevail. 
And so it's with that in mind that Paul prayed this way for the church. He said, for this reason I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. You see, Paul is praying that God would do a work in the Ephesian church that corresponds with his character, with his nature. Indeed, it would be God's provision, his glorious provision. So let's briefly consider four aspects of this prayer. Let's see how this prayer also informs a day like today and ultimately gives him the glory for what is being done. The first point is this, the church has been strengthened by the Spirit's presence. Again, Paul wasn't wanting the church to be discouraged. They ministered in a difficult context. Ephesus was a, a place in which where, while the gospel was being proclaimed, it was against a backdrop of sheer paganism and immorality. Let me pause to ask, can we see any parallels to the day in which we live? In January of this year, there was a statue that you may have heard of dedicated and placed on top of the courthouse in New York City. If you look at the picture of this statue named Now, it's a female figure emerging from a, from a pink lotus flower. It has braids that resemble horns. And it has a judicial lace apron meant to pay homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her fight for abortion. The artist says it's part of an urgent, I quote, and necessary cultural reckoning underway as New York reconsiders traditional representations of power in public spaces. And listen to this. And recasts civic structures to better reflect 21st century social mores. End quote. Church family, what exactly do you think those 21st century social mores or values are all about? You see, for the older generation here, there's a realization that this world is not our home. Maybe when you were a child, the culture around you embraced a Judeo-Christian ethic, and maybe if you were in school or home or in Sunday school, there was commonality in each of these locations. But the younger generation has not had that experience. They were born into a world that was already skeptical of the Christian faith and has grown increasingly hostile, as Dr. Devine has already reminded us. But Paul is writing to a church in a similar environment. And he says it's not a reason to be disheartened. It's not a reason to be discouraged or even pessimistic. It's exactly what was predicted throughout the New Testament. So Paul prays in verse 16 that the believers, notice what it says, would be strengthened with power. That the Holy Spirit would come 
and empower them that they could stand strong in the face of determined opposition. Now this prayer was not only about what the people needed to receive. It was a reminder of the nature of God himself. Notice how God is described. Limitless in his abilities. Limitless in his resources. It says according to the riches of his glory. It's because of that that they are able to be strengthened with his power. You see, with God, there are no limitations to supply what is needed. And so a church can look back and reflect on 25 years and count time and time and time again how he has provided, how he has brought a church family together. Each and every one of you part of that story by his design. Now, as we think about this idea of power, the Greek word is dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite. And we think of dynamite, we think of a destructive power, don't we? What does dynamite do? It, it tears things up, it breaks things apart. And I just want to ask, when you think about the gospel, do you, do you reflect upon how powerfully it can break things apart too? Do you remember the, the hymn that we sometimes sing? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. The gospel of Jesus Christ can break the bondage of sin. It's powerful enough to break the strongholds of sinful addiction. It can tear down the fear of man and destroy every argument that opposes his word. But the gospel of Jesus Christ also has a constructive power that builds up, it blesses, it completely turns lives around. It can change attitudes and outlooks. It gives joy and hope. It brings meaning and direction. And so as we think about the power of God at work in his church and in his people, we see divine activity in our midst. So as we consider the milestone of a 25th anniversary, we can see that indeed God is the one who has given the strength. It's been by his power, his might. As we pray for the church and we, we think about themes such as health or faithfulness or gospel impact, we are reminded that it is his power and his strength that accomplishes each of these things. It comes, according to verse 16, through his spirit. According to verse 17, it's Christ who, who dwells. It says, makes his home. And so we know that that, of course, reminds us that he, by his spirit, is present. And while he is present, when he is present, he provides the strength that is needed. Summit Woods has been strengthened by the spirit's presence. Secondly, the church has been secure in the love of God. Look there at the middle of verse 17, towards the end, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. This passage goes on to describe it as the love of God or the love of Christ. And Paul uses two metaphors. One is agricultural and the other is architectural. Rooted gives us the idea of a, of a strong connection that a tree has been given with its root system, providing both stability and nourishment. Just think of that mighty oak, that mighty tree. That's a picture 
of, of a church being grounded, nourished in the love of God. But also, it says not just rooted, but grounded, speaking of a solid foundation upon which a building is constructed. And so Paul takes both of these metaphors and, and ties them together, rooted and grounded, to give a picture of stability. 25 years, two and a half decades, a quarter of a century, however you want to think of it. It's that stability by being rooted and grounded upon the love of God. This type of stability means that the body is, is firmly established. Even when the storms come, it will be sustained. In fact, I'm reminded of how our Lord described it when the wise builder constructed his home on the rock, right? Not the sand. And so we, we think of, of, of this church and Jesus Christ being the cornerstone and Summit Woods Baptist Church being rooted and grounded in his love. Now I want to take a minute to emphasize that this love is best described as a commitment. A sacrificial commitment is a better definition of love than, than a mere emotional sentiment, which is sometimes what we think of. Now I'm not going to say that love doesn't have emotional sentiment, right? But it's really a commitment. And when God is committed to his people, as God is faithful and his commitment is secure because his love is a perfect love. And the vastness of God's love is described in verse 18. Some call these the four magnitudes, the width, the length, the height, and depth. Let me quickly touch on those. God's love has width because in that time both Jew and Gentile were accepted in Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This helps us understand the width, that he loved the world. But also we see the length. God loves with an everlasting love. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love never ends. So it's length. But also it's depth. That the love of God reaches down to the, the darkest depravity. The sin that, that each of us were born with and have experienced and demonstrated. In fact, also in the book of Ephesians, it says, And you he made alive, chapter 2, verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Can't we thank God for the depth of his love? to rescue us from the penalty of sin. But there's also the height. Thinking of the blessings of his love that come from heavenly places. Also in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Think of all those blessings that we have received through Christ. The width, the depth, the length, and the height of God's love. I'm reminded of the words of a hymn, the love of God. And don't worry, I'm not about to sing it to you. <laughs> but I would like to read a little bit of it to you. 
The author of the hymn, it's credited to Frederick Lehman. But he was quick to say that these lines were found in the room of a patient who at the time was in a facility that was considered at that time an insane asylum. We wouldn't use those words today. Mental health facility. After he died, he was carried to his grave. These are words that were found in his room. And that, 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 that's, that's, that's meaningful because these are poetic words. But even in that, in that, in that state, even with that, those challenges that this person was struggling with, he was able to describe the vastness of God's love. Could we, with ink, the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor, contain the, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. And then he says, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless. And strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. So we reflect today, church family, that Summit Woods has been secure in the love of God. His faithfulness, his commitment to this work from day one in March of 1998 to today. It's his love. That sustains. Look at the middle of verse 19. It says in this prayer that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. You see, there's a third aspect of this prayer, and that is that the church has been filled with divine resources. Now, isn't that a relief? That God provides what is needed. As some would say, where God guides, He provides. Now, being filled by God is not a condition that just happens once or twice in your Christian life. It's a condition that we return to day after day after day. Maybe for some of us today, we come. We come even to a time of worship longing to be filled, recognizing our dependency upon Him. You see, this is the privilege of the believer. We've been created to be containers of what God provides, not what we can ourselves generate. It's not about what we can do, it's what He has given. And He desires to pour His life into us and fill us to the full. You see, we read earlier that Christ dwells in us by His Spirit, that we are to be filled with, with His character, His nature. In fact, we are to be filled with His fruit, fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that, that one is being filled by God. We think of being filled with wisdom, filled with peace. You think of all this, and you think of, of, of His church, and you think, well, well, how could God fill all of these individuals? How is this even possible? Well, it might be like we were taking a little trip to the beach, and we had the children with us, and they each had a bucket and they were going to go and, and, and scoop some water out of the ocean. 
Would we be worried that we might impact the level of the sea that day? Might we say, oh, let's just do maybe a third of a bucket each. You know, we've got a lot of kids here today. We don't want to ruin the vacation by altering the sea level too much for today, right? No, we wouldn't even think about it. Take all you want, bucket after bucket, person after person. That's what it's like. Because we've already read in this prayer that it's, a, it's inexhaustible. Inexhaustible resources. You see, the bucket is filled with the fullness of the sea. But the fullness of the sea cannot be contained in a bucket. And that is how God can fill this church. He can fill the people here. And he can fill all of his people across this world. And it's a reminder for each of us. It's a declaration, really, that we are totally dependent upon God to do the work in us and fill us. Maybe some today have come, again, longing to be filled by God. I'm reminded of what John the Baptist said, recorded in John chapter 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's a key right there, to long to be filled with what he provides. Well, this leads us to verse 20. Let's look at it again. Now to him, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. God is able. This is such a rich verse. I want to break it apart just a little bit so that we can, we can let it settle in our minds. That yes, God is able. He's able to do He's able to do beyond what we ask. And he's able to do beyond what we think. In fact, he's able to do beyond all that we ask or think. But the verse doesn't stop there. It says, he is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And what a great reminder that it's his work. It's what he has done. And that's why the theme of this day is for God alone to receive the glory. When we think about divine resources, so much greater than what we could even imagine. And it seems like an appropriate consideration for the 25th anniversary of Summit Woods Baptist Church. Because what has been accomplished through these years is the work of God. It was his design. It's been sustained by his grace and his provision. Summit Woods has been filled with divine resources. And when we experience that as a church, notice what happens in verse 21. It says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, that's the end of the prayer. What a declaration. And our fourth point, that the church, church of Ephesus, and I would say the church of Summit Woods, has reflected Christ's glory. Think about that. Glory in the church. What an awesome opportunity and a privilege to bring God glory. 
to magnify the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, among one another as the one another's are fulfilled. But also to bring God the glory. To magnify the name of Jesus Christ even in the community in which you are serving. It's our highest calling to reflect his glory. And how long? It says here, to all generations. How long is a generation? Is 25 years a generation? You see, at 25 years, more than one generation is being represented in the history of this church now. What an awesome privilege to be a local church that magnifies the name of Jesus Christ. And as we were reminded earlier from Dr. Divine that this continues throughout eternity. From generation to generation. And what does it say? Forever and ever. So as we close, let me recap what we've seen that was prayed for. The strength of God, the love of God, the resources of God, and ultimately, the glory of God. And I think for today it would be good for us to follow the example of Paul's prayer and use those as thoughts to pray for some at once. Would you bow with me as we pray together?